My name is Tom Bennett, and I serve as one of the elders here at MPC. This morning's scripture reading is taken from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 20, excuse me, verses 5 through 25, and then verses 57 through 66. Those are found on page 855 in your pew Bibles. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. And then moving to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, And they rejoiced with her. 
And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I'm Bill. I'm one of the pastors here. It is great to have you with us for worship. Let's pray together. God and Father, we come to you as we approach this piece of your word, and we pray that you would, <clears throat> that you would work in our study of it and our understanding of it, that we would understand this text, which is wonderful but a bit confusing, that we would undersound ourselves, who are wonderful but very confusing, and that we would understand you so that we would be changed, that we'd be different people because we've met with you in your word. Would you do that for us and in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a trivia fact that you may not know, according to the law, you are able in your decade, between 80 and 90 years old, to bear a child, regardless of your gender and regardless of your health. Um, it's, it's a common law doctrine called the fertile octogenarian. And apparently it is absolutely essential so that we can have the rule against perpetuities, which sent me to Wikipedia to figure out what a perpetuity is and why in the world we need to have a rule against them. Um, but by the law, you're able to bear a child in your ninth decade. Now, of course, you and I know that maybe the law is going to permit that, but biology is much less forgiving. And you're not going to have a child, at least, you know, in almost any case as a male, much less as a female, in that decade. It's just the way biology works. And all Advent, we have been dealing with and looking at the question of waiting. Because Advent is the season in the Christian year where we wait where we remind ourselves that we wait for God to come back, for Jesus to return. And we've been doing it this year by looking at five narratives from the Bible of women who've been waiting to have a child. Last week, James preached about Michael, who never had one. Before that, we preached about Hannah, who while still in the years where she could have a child, was able to finally have a baby. Well, today we come to Elizabeth, for whom that window has closed. So today we come to a situation where the dream has died, to people who have lost hope. And, you know, that suddenly starts to feel a lot more real because that's a lot like us and like our lives, that we wait so long for some dreams that in the end we give up. And we decide that that one's just not going to happen for me and we lose hope and we stop. And it's not, that we, it's not that we cease to believe God exists, but we start to feel, well, he must have bigger things to worry about than me and my little problem. 
So I don't doubt that God's there, but I doubt that he really is caring about this thing that causes me grief. And Luke chapter 1 steps into that and tells us it's actually the exact opposite. God is fixing the problems of the entire world, and yet while he's doing it, he is paying attention to the individual little struggle of one old guy and his wife who live in a backwater town in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. And that while God is paying attention to the issues of the whole world, he simultaneously is doing it in a way that he cares about Zechariah and Elizabeth and their individual problems. And if that's the case, that's great news because it means that he cares about you and he cares about me and he cares about our individual problems. That our God is not too big and not too busy to worry about the things that tear apart our hearts. So this morning, we're going to look at that only under two categories. There are two that Pastor James has given to us many a time. Our God is rarely early, but he's never late. That our God is rarely early, but he is never late. Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. And they're waiting with dreams and doubts, and to be honest, probably a lot more doubts than dreams. Now, to understand this text, it's essential that we go right immediately to verse 6, and we realize that this is not Elizabeth's fault. Now, last week, James preached about Michael, who, from any way we can read the scripture, seems to have been judged by God with her childlessness. And James said, if you are a believer in Christ and you are a recipient of his grace, God is not dealing with you that way. Now, that doesn't mean you might not be struggling with childlessness. But if you are, it is not a judgment from God. It is not a curse from God. It's just one of those horrible things that happens in the world we live in. So, Elizabeth, verse 6, is righteous. Now, not sinless, of course, but righteous. She did nothing to cause this to happen. Neither did her husband. And while that may be true, that didn't make it any less painful. It's almost impossible to overstate the agony of waiting for a baby as a Hebrew woman at the time that she lived. Now, in the world that she lived in, she herself, her husband, and everyone else out there felt like she had one purpose, which was to bear children. Now, that is degrading and in many ways inappropriate, and we almost don't have enough time to say the number of ways in which that devalues what a woman is. We're not saying that that's a good thing. It simply was the culture she lived in. And we won't understand the text if we don't at least know that that is the way that she even viewed herself. So all of her greatest dreams, all of her greatest hopes seem to have just not happened. And that is a terrible wait. And it probably for her, like it would be today, is a very lonely wait. And so if you are struggling with these issues... If you are sitting there feeling like the dream has died, whether it's the dream of children, whether it's the dream of finding a husband or a wife, whether it's the dream of finally finding a job again, or whatever it may be, you don't have to be alone in that struggle. Your church is here. We are ready to hug you, to pray with you, to cry with you, to be confused with you. We don't know why any more than you do, but we're ready to walk through this with you. It doesn't need to be a silent struggle. Come talk to us. Because though this wasn't her fault, it was horribly hard. It's one of those things that just happens in a world that is a mess. And so she waited with dreams, but honestly with far more doubts because it looked like that ship had sailed. 
And that's how her husband felt too. You know, when you read verse 13, it's very easy when you see the angels say, hey, your prayer has been answered to think that Zechariah has been praying for a son. But if you read the narrative a little more closely, that's not what's happening. Look at it. Zechariah responds with unbelief. Now, it's an unbelief you'd understand, right? Um, Hey, Mr. Gabriel, I appreciate that and all, but did you check when my birthday is? I'm kind of too old for this. Have you ever wondered why the Gospel of Luke bothers to record that little piece? I mean, isn't it kind of like kicking a guy when he's down? It's like, look, my life already is terrible and I've got all this grief and now you immortalized in Scripture for thousands of years that I blew it? Thanks, God. I appreciate you inspiring Luke to write that. Now, why is it here? Well, it's not here to shame Zechariah. It's here to tell us that his prayer hadn't been to have a baby. He'd given up on that prayer a long time ago. Maybe it was his dream, but he didn't believe that was going to happen. Instead, what was Zechariah's prayer? Well, if Zechariah and Elizabeth have been waiting with dreams but lots of doubts, that's just a microcosm for how much their whole nation has been waiting with dreams and lots of doubts. Let me try to give you about a thousand years of history in two paragraphs. About a thousand BC, you hit the high point of Israel's history as a nation with King David. And pretty much from there on, it was downhill. And in fact, it was downhill pretty fast and pretty bad. The immorality of the nation rose, the injustice of the nation rose, they were disobedient to God, things went worse and worse and worse, until about 450 years later, the Babylonian Empire conquered Israel, they conquered Jerusalem, and they deported a large number of the people. They took them about a thousand-mile journey back to Babylon. Now, it's hard for us to understand exactly how bad that is, because we kind of like to travel. But understand, this is not a field trip. This is not a chance to go see another continent. This is being taken as slaves after having been captured in war. And off in Babylon in those first few decades of what was called the exile, the hope of any Jew who was there was to go home. It was the dream. It was the daydream. It was the dream at night. But they always woke back up to the nightmare that they were captive slaves in a foreign land. And it's no accident in our text in Luke chapter 1 that Gabriel is the one who comes to talk to Zechariah. Because Gabriel had come hundreds of years before to a young man in that exile. The last time we've actually heard from Gabriel is in the book of Daniel chapter 9. And in that point, Daniel, one of those early exiles, has been praying to the Lord, begging to go home, to bring his dream to pass. And the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel, and he says, Daniel, your prayer has been heard. And Daniel thinks, and he says, and God's answer is no, not yet. In fact, not for centuries. It will be hundreds of years before God is going to let this dream come, to let the people come home. And so now, hundreds of years after that, there have been brief moments of hope that have always been dashed. A few people do come back not too long later from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Your books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament record it. But it went nowhere. Hundreds of years later, The Jews actually revolted against the Greek empire that was ruling it that day. And everyone thought, maybe God is going to finally deliver us. But it turned out that the leaders of the revolt were more corrupt and more difficult. It descended very quickly into injustice, immorality, 
went complete power politics and Game of Thrones. And before long, they had a chap named Herod on the throne. He was just the most vengeful, bloodthirsty, powerful of any of the kings they'd ever had. And the injustice was worse than it had ever been. The nation waited with a dream that someday God would deliver them, but honestly, probably with more doubt. Because it had been hundreds of years, nothing had happened, of great, grand, divine silence. And into that, Zechariah prayed. You know, it's no accident that he was the one in the temple at that time. God controls the lot. And he was in there doing his priestly duty to pray for the nation, to pray for God to fix this, to pray for that Messiah to come. And this is the prayer that the angel says, God has heard your prayer. Now, it it makes us ask this question right away. We pray for so many things. But we who live in the most individualist culture in the world... Zechariah, in the midst of great personal tragedy and distress, was praying for the things of his world and his nation. What do you pray for? What are your dreams, even the ones you've given up on? You know, do you dream that your body would finally be free of cancer? Do you dream that you'd finally find someone? Do you dream that your husband or your wife would finally change? Do you dream that you'd finally change? Do you dream that God might take away your addiction? These are all wonderful dreams, wonderful prayers, and they've got to be part of what we bring before the Lord, but we ought to pray even bigger. Not just that God would take away the cancer in your body, but that he would take away cancer from this world. Not that God would just give you peace in your life, but that he would take away war from this world. Not that God would just find a child for you, but that there would be no child in the foster care system who doesn't have a home. We actually need to dream bigger than just our individual dreams. But the moment I say that, don't you start to doubt? I do. I mean, could you really imagine God would do that? Well, you know what? I think I'm kind of like Zechariah. Um, Sure, God. I don't think I have words of belief right now. Our prayers need to be bigger. Our dreams need to be bigger. And we wait with doubt, don't we? We wait with doubt. We wait with disbelief. And it's incredibly important to see how Zechariah waits in the middle of that doubt and disbelief. Because look what he's doing. He's praying even about the things he doubts would really happen. He's continuing in the service that he does. You know, so many of us, when we doubt or when something is just dashed, we say, you know what, I'm going to pull back and take a break from this church thing because I'm not so sure. Or... You know, people who do not believe use all the troubles of this world to say, you know what, I'm not going to even pay attention to this faith. But Zechariah, in the midst of his dreams and doubts, steps into prayer and he steps into worship and he steps into serving in the middle of the people of God. Because that's where an angel just might show up. So he dreams, he doubts, and it seems God has not been early, has he? But he's never been late. So much to his surprise, he's just going about his business, burning incense, offering prayers, and an angel shows up. And when the angel shows up, it tells you that Elizabeth and Zechariah were about to be delivered and delighted. Because the end of this story is, in fact, that she has been delivered by having a baby. He has been delivered by speaking again, and they both react with delight. And make no mistake, for Elizabeth, this is deliverance. 
Look at verses 24 and 25. That's how she describes it herself. After this, the wife, his wife Elizabeth came pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown his favor, taken my disgrace away from among the people. It's how everybody else views it. Look down at verses 655, no, um, 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to her son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. For her and her world, this is rescue. This is deliverance. And, and don't think it came without doubt, right? Now, why do you think the text, why did she keep herself secret for five months? You know, until it was just obvious that she was actually pregnant. Well, the text doesn't tell us, but don't you wonder that she was worried about miscarrying? Maybe again? She's been delivered. And think of the joy for her when the son she thought she'd never have leans in. When she can feel him breathe. <clears throat> when some number of years later, he's able to look up and say, I love you, mom. She's not just delivered, but she's delighted by what the Lord has done for her. And Zechariah likewise. You know, the, the angel basically said this to him. Because you didn't believe, <clears throat> you're not going to speak any more words again until you speak a word of faith. And so Zechariah has been mute for 10 months scribbling out what he needs to on a writing tablet. And, you know, 10 months go by, they have the baby. You notice he still doesn't speak. It's another eight days until they get to naming the child. And when they get to the day of circumcision, when they give him his given name, his mom, who's the only one who can say anything, says, he's going to be John. They'll say, no, no, no. You don't have any John in your family. He's, he's going to be Zechariah. And Zechariah grabs the writing tablet his name is John, which means the Lord is gracious. And with that, Zechariah's mouth is opened. He speaks again, and he doesn't just speak, but he sings and celebrates. He praises for what God has done. Because God is going to both deliver and delight these people. And as amazing as that is, it's nothing compared to the deliverance and the delight that he's got for the nation. This nation which has been under the thumb of one world empire after another for hundreds of years. This nation which has dreamed of justice, which has dreamed of deliverance. Now Gabriel shows up and says, hundreds of years ago, I came to Daniel and I said, not now, not yet. Now he comes to Zechariah and says, yes, now. It is time. He uses words from the prophet Micah, the last of the prophets who write in the Old Testament. Not Micah, Malachi. Malachi, at the end of Malachi chapter 4, said this. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now in verse 16 and 17, the angel says, Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He says, all the dreams of a thousand years are now coming. I'm going to do it. And so Zechariah breaks forth, newly able to speak with his song. It's not what we read, but look in your Bible right after this, starting in verse 67 in Luke chapter 1. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This was a deliverance and a delight for the nation because God was doing more than just caring for this couple. He was finally bringing about the purpose of all of history. What they had waited for in despair and doubt finally was going to come to pass. Now, why is that so important for us? Well, it starts to explain everything about our lives. Because we are delighted and delivered. This wasn't the last time it would look like God had been a little bit too late. It wasn't the last time it looked like God had tarried and delayed and missed the bus and then missed another bus and missed another bus. 33 years later, they would have rolled into Jerusalem thinking God was finally about to act. And then instead of God overthrowing all those hated people who had kept them under their thumb, the Romans would hang Jesus on a cross. They would jam a crown of thorns down on his head. They would run him through with a spear. And he would be buried dead in a grave, guarded by a Roman legion. If you think biology is unforgiving with menopause, how about biology with death? It looked like God had missed the bus again. He'd been too late. There was a chance, and it was gone. But it wasn't too late. Three days later, it would become apparent that God may have looked like he tarried, he may have looked like he delayed, but he was just on time. And as Jesus rose from the dead, we find out that we were not at all abandoned. That there was delight and deliverance. The apostles danced. They couldn't believe they were holding on to the risen Jesus. That's what we do in Advent. Advent is us waiting for him to come back. When he left, right after that, 40 days later, he said, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I will come back to finish the work I've started. I will come back to make this world whole. I will come back to eliminate all suffering and all pain and all death and all injustice. And it's been 2,000 years. And isn't it pretty easy to say, um, you're a little bit late. And imagine if Jesus came back 100 years ago. Imagine the suffering we would have skipped. Could have skipped some wars, world wars. We'd have skipped genocides. We would have skipped various diseases that are terrifying. Doesn't it feel like he's kind of late? I mean, am I the only one who struggles with unbelief on this? I doubt it. But he reminds us that he has always been exactly on time. Rarely early, but never late. And so we hope. Now here's the great thing. That would be enough. But God does something amazing in this passage. While he is doing all of that for the world itself, he's doing it in a way that he never forgets about this old couple. They weren't even from Jerusalem. They lived in some rural area, and when their rotation was over, they were going to go back to their no-name town in a no-name region, in a no-name province that finally is part of this province called Judea, which itself was a nothing place. This was a nothing couple in the world's eyes. They didn't matter, and their struggles with infertility were nothing. Who cares? I'll tell you who cared. God cared. He wrote the entire history of the salvation of the world in such a way that it would also touch this couple's struggle to have a baby. And that gives us tremendous hope, doesn't it? Because it means for you and for me 
that God has not forgotten about our little, insignificant, but huge to us struggles. It means that the God of the universe, this is what happens when an all-powerful, all-knowing God plans out salvation. He can step into every one of our lives so that our stories are part of his great big story. This is the great thing about Zechariah. He got to see it. I didn't finish his song. Let me read you the last few verses of his song in Luke 1. After what we read, he says this, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. God let Zechariah get a glimpse of how his personal story and struggle were part of God's huge story. And when he got that glimpse, Zechariah sang. Suddenly, it all made sense. Now, here's the thing. I can't, as one of your pastors, stand up here and promise you that what happened to Elizabeth is going to happen to you. I mean, I, I, I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, I dare not promise you something that God's never promised you. And you know what? No angel has showed up to tell you you are going to have a baby or that you are going to find a husband or that you are going to get well. You know, those promises were things that Elizabeth knew because an angel came and told her. We actually don't know that. But we know that even when Jesus had died, it wasn't too late. Because even when it looked like God was too late, he was on time. Some of these promises don't guarantee us until after we die. The promises to Elizabeth happened when she was alive. The promises to Jesus only happened after he died. Yet we know as believers in Christ that this life we live is just chapter one of the story. So you know what? I won't promise you that you will get well from cancer because I can't. But I will promise you that you will have a new body when Jesus comes back that can never have cancer. I won't promise you that you'll have a child this year or this life because I can't. But I will promise you that you will live in eternity in the full fellowship of a family. I can't promise you that you're going to find a husband or a wife because, well, I can't. But I can promise you that when Jesus comes back, you will have the full fellowship, the lack of loneliness that you crave. Because he is never late. He's rarely early. We live with dreams. We live with doubts. We live with struggles. But he has been on time every time. And just every once in a while, he lets Zechariah or Elizabeth, or maybe you or me, see how our song fits in his song. And so let's pray that he would do that even for the things that we struggle with. God, we come and we come with trembling. And we come with fear because... Honestly, there are a lot of dreams we've given up on. And there are a lot of things that we, we think, well, okay, I guess I'll put that before you, but we don't even put that before you in faith. If anything, we put it before you in bitterness. And we don't usually believe that you've been on time. We believe that we had a better plan. <clears throat> so we confess those things to you, but we pray that you would somehow move in us that we could see just like Elizabeth and Zechariah did, how these things are actually part 
of the song you've written for the whole world. And if you would give us the grace, we're bold, Lord. We don't hesitate to ask that you'd give us the grace to see these things in this life. But if we don't see them until even after the life to come, then we will wait for them then with hope because we know you're good and we know you love us. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.